0: Chapter Six of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narration by Missy. Guangzhou, China. The Scarlet Pimpernel. By Baroness Emma Ortsey. Chapter Six. An Exquisite of Ninety Two. Sir Percy Blakeney as the chronicles of the time inform us, was in this year of grace, 1792, still a year or two on the right side of thirty. Tall, above the average, even for an Englishman, broad-shouldered and massively built, he would have been called unusually good-looking, but for a certain lazy expression in his deep-set blue eyes, and that perpetual inane laugh which seemed to disfigure his strong, clearly-cut mouth. It was nearly a year ago now that Sir Percy Blakeney, baronet, one of the richest men in England, leader of all the fashions and intimate friend of the Prince of Wales, had astonished fashionable society in London and Bath by bringing home from one of his journeys abroad a beautiful, fascinating, clever, French wife. He, the sleepiest, dullest, most British Britisher that had ever set a pretty woman yawning, had secured a brilliant matrimonial prize for which as all chroniclers aver there had been many competitors marguerite st just had first made her debut in artistic parisian circles at the very moment when the greatest social upheaval the world has ever known was taking place within its very walls scarcely eighteen lavishly gifted with beauty and talent, chaperoned only by a young and devoted brother, she had soon gathered round her in her charming apartment in the Rue Richelieu, a coterie which was as brilliant as it was exclusive. Exclusive, that is to say, only from one point of view. Marguerite Saint-Just was from principle and by conviction a Republican. Equality of birth was her motto. Inequality of fortune was in her eyes a mere untoward accident, but the only inequality she admitted was that of talent.
1: Money and titles may be hereditary, she would say, but brains are not.
0: And thus her charming salon was reserved for originality and intellect, for brilliance and wit, for clever men and talented women, and the entrance into it was soon looked upon in the world of intellect, which even in those days and in those troublous times found its pivot in Paris as the seal to an artistic career. Clever men, distinguished men, and even men of exalted station formed a perpetual and brilliant court round the fascinating young actress of the comédie Française, and she glided through republican, revolutionary, bloodthirsty Paris, like a shining comet with a trail behind her of all that was most distinguished, most interesting, in intellectual Europe. Then the climax came. Some smiled indulgently and called it an artistic eccentricity others looked upon it as a wise provision in view of the many events which were crowding thick and fast in paris just then but to all the real motive of that climax remained a puzzle and a mystery anyway marguerite saint Just married sir percy blakeney one fine day just like that without any warning to her friends without a soiree des contrat, or dinner des fianceles or other appurtenances of a fashionable french wedding how that stupid, dull Englishman ever came to be admitted within the intellectual circle which revolved round the cleverest woman in Europe, as her friends unanimously called her, no one ventured to guess. Golden key is said to open every door, asserted the more malignantly inclined. Enough, she married him, and the cleverest woman in Europe had linked her fate to that demmed idiot Blakeney, and not even her most intimate friends could assign to this strange step any other motive than that of supreme eccentricity. Those friends who knew laughed to scorn the idea that Marguerite Saint-Just had married a fool for the sake of the worldly advantages with which he might endow her. They knew, as a matter of fact, that Marguerite Saint-Just cared nothing about money, and still less about a title. Moreover, there were at least half a dozen other men in the cosmopolitan world, equally well-born, if not so wealthy as Blakeney, who would have been only too happy to give Marguerite Saint-Just any position she might choose to covet. As for Sir Percy himself, he was universally voted to be totally unqualified for the onerous post he had taken upon himself. His chief qualifications for it seemed to consist in his blind adoration for her, his great wealth, and the high favour in which he stood at the English court. But London society thought that, taking into consideration his own intellectual limitations, it would have been wiser on his part had he bestowed those worldly advantages upon a less brilliant and witty wife. Although lately he had been so prominent a figure in fashionable English society, he had spent most of his early life abroad. His father, the late Sir Algernon Blakeney, had had the terrible misfortune of seeing an idolized young wife become hopelessly insane after two years of happy married life. Percy had just been born when the late Lady Blakeney fell prey to the terrible malady which in those days was looked upon as hopelessly incurable, and nothing short of a curse of God upon the entire family. Sir Algernon took his afflicted young wife abroad, and there presumably Percy was educated and grew up between an imbecile mother and a distracted father, until he attained his majority. The death of his parents following close upon one another left him a free man, and as Sir Algernon had led a forcibly simple and retired life, the large Blakeney fortune had increased tenfold. Sir Percy Blakeney had travelled a great deal abroad before he brought home his beautiful young French wife. The fashionable circles of the time were ready to receive them both with open arms. Sir Percy was rich, his wife was accomplished, the Prince of Wales took a very great liking to them both. Within six months they were the acknowledged leaders of fashion and of style. Sir Percy's coats were the talk of the town, his inanities were quoted, his foolish laugh copied by the gilded youth at Almax or the Mall. Everyone knew that he was hopelessly stupid, but then that was scarcely to be wondered at, seeing that all the Blakeneys for generations had been notoriously dull, and that his mother died an imbecile. Thus society accepted him, petted him, made much of him, since his horses were the finest in the country, his fates and wines the most sought after. As for his marriage with the cleverest woman in Europe, well, the inevitable came with sure and rapid footsteps. No one pitied him, since his fate was of his own making. There were plenty of young ladies in England, of high birth and good looks, who would have been quite willing to help him spend the Blakeney fortune, whilst smiling indulgently at his inanities and his good-humoured foolishness. Moreover Sir Percy got no pity, because he seemed to require none. He seemed very proud of his clever wife, and to care little that she took no pains to disguise that good-natured contempt which she evidently felt for him, and that she even amused herself by sharpening her ready wits at his expense. But then Blakeney was really too stupid to notice the ridicule with which his wife covered him, and if his matrimonial relations with the fascinating Parisienne had not turned out all that his hopes and dog-like devotion for her had pictured, society could never do more than vaguely guess at it. In his beautiful house at Richmond he played second fiddle to his clever wife with imperturbable Bonhomie he lavished jewels and luxuries of all kinds upon her which she took with inimitable grace dispensing the hospitality of his superb mansion with the same graciousness with which she had welcomed the intellectual coterie of paris physically sir percy blakeney was undeniably handsome always accepting the lazy bored look which was habitual to him he was always irreproachably dressed and wore the exaggerated incroyable fashions which had just crept across from paris to england with the perfect good taste innate in an english gentleman On this special afternoon in september in spite of the long journey by coach in spite of rain and mud his coat set irreproachably across his fine shoulders his hands looked almost femininely white as they emerged through billowy frills of finest matchline lace the extravagantly short-waisted satin coat wide lapelled waistcoat and tight-fitting striped breeches set off his massive figure to perfection and in repose one might have admired so fine a specimen of english manhood until the foppish ways, the affected movements, the perpetual inane laugh brought one's admiration of Sir Percy Blakeney to an abrupt close. He had lolled into the old-fashioned inn-parlour, shaking the wet off his fine overcoat, then putting up a gold-rimmed eyeglass to his lazy blue eye, he surveyed the company, upon whom an embarrassed silence had suddenly fallen.
2: "'Howdy, Johnny, howdy, folks,'
0: he said, recognizing the two young men and shaking them by the hand
2: jones my dear fellow
0: he added smothering a slight yawn
2: did you ever see such a beastly day damned climate this
0: with a quaint little laugh half of embarrassment and half of sarcasm marguerite had turned towards her husband and was surveying him from head to foot with an amused little twinkle in her merry blue eyes la said sir percy after a moment or two silence as no one offered any comment how
2: sheep is you all look what's up
1: oh nothing sir percy
0: replied marguerite with a certain amount of gaiety which however sounded somewhat forced
1: nothing to disturb your equanimity only an insult to your wife the
0: laugh which accompanied this remark was evidently intended to reassure sir percy as to the gravity of the incident it apparently succeeded in that for echoing the laugh he rejoined placidly
2: ah oh, my dear you don't say so beggar uh, who was the bold man who dared to tackle you eh?
0: lord tony tried to interpose but had no time to do so for the young vicomte had already quickly stepped forward monsieur he said prefixing his little speech with an elaborate bow
3: and speaking in broken english me mother the comtesse de tournay de basserive has offenced madame who i see is your wife i cannot ask your pardon for me mother what she does is right in my eyes but i am ready to offer you the usual reparation between men of honor
0: the young man drew up his slim stature to its full height and looked very enthusiastic very proud and very hot as he gazed at six foot odd of gorgeousness as represented by sir percy blakeney baronet
1: lud sir andrew
0: said marguerite with one of her merry infectious
1: laughs. laughs look on that pretty picture the english turkey and the french bantam the
0: simile was quite perfect and the English turkey looked down with complete bewilderment upon the dainty little French bantam, which hovered quite threateningly around him.
2: La, sir,"
0: said Sir Percy at last, putting up his eyeglass and surveying the young Frenchman with undisguised wonderment.
2: "'Where in the cacuse name did you learn to speak English?'
0: "'Monsieur,' protested the vicomte, somewhat abashed at the way his warlike attitude had been taken by the ponderous-looking Englishman.
2: "'I protest, it's marvelous."
0: continued sir percy imperturbably
2: Damned marvellous don't you think so johnny eh i vow i cannot speak the french lingo like that word
1: nay i'll vouch for that rejoined marguerite sir percy has a british accent you could cut with a knife
0: monsieur interposed the vicomte earnestly and in still more broken english
3: i fear you have not understand i offer you the only possible reparation among gentlemen
2: what the devil is that
0: asked sir percy blandly
1: my sword monsieur
0: replied the vicomte who though still bewildered was beginning to lose his temper
1: you are a sportsman lord tony
0: said marguerite merrily
1: ten to one on the little bantam
0: but sir percy was staring sleepily at the vicomte for a moment or two through his partly closed heavy lids then he smothered another yawn stretched his long limbs and turned leisurely away.
2: I love you, sir,
0: he muttered good humouredly.
2: Damn it, young man. What is the good of your sort to me?
0: What the Vicomte thought and felt at that moment, when that long limbed Englishman treated him with such marked insolence might fill volumes of sound reflections. What he said resolved itself into a single articulate word, for all the others were choked in his throat by his surging wrath. A
3: duel, monsieur
0: he stammered once more blakeney turned and from his high altitude looked down on the choleric little man before him but not even for a second did he seem to lose his own imperturbable good humour he laughed his own pleasant and inane laugh and burying his slender long hands into the capacious pockets of his overcoat he said leisurely
2: a bloodthirsty young ruffian do you want to make a hole in a law-abiding man as for me sir i never fight two elves
0: he added as he placidly sat down and stretched his long lazy legs out before him
2: damn uncomfortable things duels aren't they johnny
0: now the the vicomte had no doubt vaguely heard that in england the fashion of duelling amongst gentlemen had been suppressed by the law with a very stern hand Still, to him, a Frenchman, whose notions of bravery and honour were based upon a code that had centuries of tradition to back it, the spectacle of a gentleman actually refusing to fight a duel was little short of an enormity. In his mind he vaguely pondered whether he should strike that long-legged Englishman in the face and call him a coward, or whether such conduct in a lady's presence might be deemed ungentlemanly, when Marguerite happily interposed
1: i pray you lord tony
0: she said in that gentle sweet musical voice of hers
1: i pray you play the peacemaker the child is bursting with rage and
0: she added with a suzon of dry sarcasm
1: might do sir percy an injury
0: she laughed a mocking little laugh which however did not in the least disturb her husband's placid equanimity ha
1: the british turkey has had the day she said sir percy would provoke all the saints in the calendar and keep his temper the while
0: but already blakeney good-humoured as ever had joined in the laugh against himself
2: damn smart that now wasn't it he said turning pleasantly to the vicomte clever and my wife sir you will find that out if you live long enough in england sir percy
3: is right vicomte
0: here interposed lord antony laying a friendly hand on the young frenchman's shoulder
3: it would hardly be fitting that you should commence your career in england by provoking him to a duel
0: for a moment longer the vicomte hesitated then, with a slight shrug of the shoulders directed against the extraordinary code of honor prevailing in this fog-ridden island, he said with becoming
3: dignity, "Ah well, if Monsieur is satisfied, I have no griefs. You, milor, are our protector. If I have done wrong, I withdraw myself." I do," rejoined Blakeney
0: with a long sigh of satisfaction.
2: "Withdraw yourself, what, oh, dear, damned excitable little puppy."
0: he added under his breath.
2: "Fate, Fox, if that is a specimen of the goods you and your friends will bring over from France, my advice to you is, drop them mid-channel, my friend, or I shall have to see old Pitt about it, get him to clap on a prohibitive tariff, and put you in the stocks and you smuggle.'
1: "Laugh, Sir Percy, your chivalry misguides you,' said Marguerite coquettishly. "'You forget that you yourself have imported one bundle of goods from France.'
0: Blakeney slowly rose to his feet, and making a deep and elaborate bow before his wife, he said with consummate gallantry,
2: "'I had to pick up the market, madam, and my taste is unerring.'
1: "'More so than your chivalry, I fear,' she retorted
0: sarcastically.
2: "'All this life, my dear, be reasonable. Do you think I am going to allow my body to be made a pincushion of by every little frog-eater who don't like the shape of your nose?'
1: lord sir percy <laughs> laughed lady blakeney as she bobbed him a quaint and pretty curtsey. you need not be afraid tis not the men who dislike the shape of my nose
2: afraid be damned do you impound my bravery ma'am i don't patronize the ring for nothing do i tony i have put out a fist sweeter so it Samvy, for now and he didn't get it all his own way either sir face
1: sir percy <laughs>
0: said marguerite with a long and merry laugh that went echoing along the old oak rafters of the parlour
1: i would i had seen you then oh, you must have looked a pretty picture and, and to be afraid of a little french boy <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> echoed sir percy good-humouredly
2: ah oh, mammy honour me Jokes, folks mock you, dad i have made my wife love the cleverest woman in europe Odds oh, fish, we must have a bowl on that,
0: and he tapped vigorously on the table near him.
2: Hey, jelly, quick man, here, jelly.
0: Harmony was once more restored. Mr. Jellyband, with a mighty effort, recovered himself from the many emotions he had experienced within the last half hour.
2: A bowl of punch jelly, hot and strong, eh?
1: said Sir Percy.
2: The oats that have just made a claver of my luff must be whetted. <laughs> my good jelly
1: nay there is no time sir percy interposed marguerite the skipper will be here directly and my brother must get on board or the Daydream will miss the tide
2: time my dear there is plenty of time for any gentleman to get drunk and get on board before the turn of the tide i think your
3: ladyship said jellyband
2: respectfully
3: that the young gentleman's coming along now with sir percy's skipper
2: that's right said blakeney then armand can join us in the merry bell thank you donnie he added
0: turning towards the vicomte
2: that the jackanapes of yours will join us in a class tell them that we drink in token of reconciliation
1: in fact you are all such merry company said marguerite that i trust you will forgive me if i bid my brother good-bye in another room
0: it would have been bad form to protest both lord antony and sir andrew felt that lady blakeney could not altogether be in tune with them at the moment her love for her brother armand saint just was deep and touching in the extreme he had just spent a few weeks with her in her english home and was going back to serve his country at the moment when death was the usual reward for the most enduring devotion sir percy also made no attempt to detain his wife With that perfect, somewhat affected gallantry which characterized his every movement, he opened the coffee-room door for her, and made her the most approved and elaborate bow, which the fashion of the time dictated, as she sailed out of the room without bestowing on him more than a passing, slightly contemptuous glance. Only Sir Andrew Bokes, whose every thought since he had met Suzanne de Tournay seemed keener, more gentle, more innately sympathetic, noted the curious look of intense longing, of deep and hopeless passion, with which the inane and flippant Sir Percy followed the retreating figure of his brilliant wife. End of chapter 6